Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. This morning's first scripture lesson is from Psalm 121, which may be found on page 571 in the Old Testament section of your Pew Bible. The opening subtitle is Assurance of God's Protection. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. The word of the Lord. The two passages of scripture that we've heard read this morning are different from one another in many ways. The first one is brought to us anonymously. The second one, we have a clear identity as to its author. The initial reading is a kind of poem, while the second one is a letter. And yet, even with those distinctions, they both share the same kind of understanding about an attribute of God, namely that God is one who keeps us. The psalmist said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And then answers his own question. As he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He goes on to describe God as the keeper of Israel, one who does not slumber or sleep, one who protects us from the sun of the moon and the, the light of the moon and the sun, and then ends in this way. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and you're coming in from this time on and forevermore. I learned recently that that part of Scripture is sometimes referred to as the Traveler's Psalm. And you might have noticed in the Pew Bible that it has this heading of a song of ascent, for they were words that were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they would climb their way towards ancient Jerusalem. It is said that David Livingstone, the 19th century physician and missionary, read these words aloud before he departed Scotland for Africa. 
And in the years before and since, there have been countless others who have spoken these words and drawn from them as a source of comfort, describing a God who goes with us in every journey of life. Those words are sometimes used in church circles, too, as a liturgy for baptism or for a funeral, as a reminder of God's unbreakable presence. Our New Testament reading comes from the letter of Jude. The namesake is not the same one that has been beatified by the Roman Catholic Church, That Jude is sometimes known as the patron saint of lost causes. That Jude is referring to one of the twelve apostles, who in various lists is referred to as either Thaddeus or Judas, but not Iscariot. This Jude is different from that individual. He identifies himself as the opening, as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To identify himself with James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, means that our author, like James, were two of the four half-brothers of Jesus identified in the New Testament. And thus, as he is writing his letter, he does so for both biological and doctrinal reasons as he wants to correct a mistake. This is the third Sunday in a row that we have listened to a part of Scripture that was concerned about erroneous teaching in the church or outside influences. After the introduction in this letter, we didn't hear Jude speak of this. He talks of such people and calls them intruders. He gives several biblical examples of people like that in the past along with an affirmation of how their presence was prophesied and how they will be punished before he calls on the believers who are reading his letter to remain steadfast in the faith. And then he concludes with these words. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Those words have been used over the centuries in countless worship services as a benediction. And some of the commentaries that I cited reference these words from Jude in that kind of way. Though another scholar pointed out that more accurately, those words should be spoken of as a doxology. Fred Craddock noted that the distinction is that a benediction seeks the favor of God upon the listener, while a doxology offers praise to God without any request for blessing to come upon the hearer. The song that we sing as we dedicate our financial gifts is a classic doxology in that regard. Yet however we define it, what we have here from Jude is one who speaks of how God will keep us from falling. 
we heard the psalmist say that this is the same one who will keep us from evil, who will keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That language of being kept by God is one that we use in other religious acts too. For many, a child has offered the bedtime prayer of, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. As a child, I was taught the version that we then taught our children that went on to say, If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Our grandchildren use a much less frightening version of that. As in that moment, they say, guide me through the starry night and wake me when the sun shines bright. Yet, however that prayer continues, it begins with this petition, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Many worship services end with a benediction that says, the Lord bless you and keep you. And there's a choral response that uses those same words too. Thus, I would imagine that all of us have heard or used that kind of language about God keeping us or someone else without really giving much thought to what it is that we are requesting or affirming in that moment. I'd like for us to take a few minutes to correct that oversight by stopping to think about what in fact does it mean when we use that language about God. To help us in this reflection, I went and looked at some other translations of the Bible to see how it is they provide a listening of these same words. The King James Version of Scripture speaks of how God will preserve us from evil and preserve our going out and our coming in while agreeing with Jude in saying that God will keep us from falling. The New International Version says that God will keep us from evil, but that God watches over our going out and our coming in, while again concurring with the brother of Jesus in saying that God will keep us from falling. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, The Message, agrees with both the New English Bible and the Jerusalem Bible in saying that God will guard us from evil and guard our going out and our coming in. Those other two translations also echo Jude's words of how God will keep us from falling, where Peterson says that God will keep you on your feet, standing tall. With those other images before us then, we had this sort of broader understanding of what are we saying when we speak of God keeping us, or speaks of one who will guard and preserve our life, one who will allow us to stay upright and watches over us. Each of us will define that attribute of God in our own unique personal way, 
to help you begin that process for yourself of thinking about what that means for you. Let me share with you the story of someone I never met. It's a woman named Christine who had been elected to serve as a ruling elder in her congregation in Charlotte, North Carolina. Her, both of her parents had served as a deacon or ruling elder in the congregation of her growing up years, and her mother was a member of the congregation I served. As part of the process for being approved by the session, Christine, along with the other new, newly elected ruling elders, was asked to share the story of someone who had had a great influence upon her faith, and she chose to tell about her father. Here's part of what she said on that day. Several years ago, on the day before Christmas, I decided I wanted to get something from a furniture store downtown, and my father chose to go along with me. We pulled into an empty parking lot, and as we walked up, we saw the sign that said closed. And so as we turned to go back to our car, I saw in the distance this rather rough-looking man crossing five lanes of traffic to get to us. I quickly got in the car, I started it up, and I began to back up, but my father was moving a bit slower than I. And so as he opened the door, the man now was only six feet away and said, excuse me, sir, can you give me some money to make sure that my family can have a Merry Christmas? Christine went on to say how she was appalled that her father pulled out his money clip. And she said it was rather thick because they were going to be staying with us for a week. And he peeled off a couple of bills to give to the man. And all she could think was this man was going to pull out a gun and rob her father or hurt him. But that didn't happen. Instead, the man accepted the money and said, thank you. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, too. Daddy got in the car. I put it then in motion and went a little bit faster than I ordinarily would have done. And we didn't talk about the incident in that moment. My father was a native of Newark, New Jersey. All of his business life had been in New York City. And I didn't think it was my place to talk to him about urban challenges. And yet the next day at dinner, it came up. And as the story began, I turned to him and I said, Daddy, that really scared me. He said, did it, Chrissy? He said, all my life, I've had people come and ask me for money. I've seen people weave their way through crowds on New York streets seeking me out and I always thought that maybe it was something about my face or about how I carried myself that made them think I would be approachable. I always considered them asking to be a compliment. For that believer, to understand his life as being kept by God meant that he did not fear when a stranger would come and ask for help, but instead actually viewed those moments as a gift. For you, 
to affirm that you are kept by God might make you first think of how nothing can break the bond of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. Or it might be for you to know that you are kept by God allows you to know with certainty that you never face any moment alone. Or to affirm that you are kept by God might make you first realize that even the hardest moments of life are no match for the power and presence of the Almighty. However it is that you define that gift, it is an aspect of our faith to which we all can turn and cling. Two believers of long ago both spoke of this nature of God as one who keeps us and used their own language to define exactly what that meant. As you continue to ponder what that means for you, I want to close today with a video from our friends at the United Methodist Church. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.